Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim Vibe podcast. My name is Salim Qasim, I'm the chief editor of the Muslim Vibe. Today I'm joined by Nargis Mubalighi, who is an independent journalist, and Afraf Mansour, the deputy editor. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing the Calais jungle, which is being taken apart at the time of recording this. We're going to be talking about veganism and finally the US elections, which are taking place on the 8th of November. Thank you both for being here. Um, I think let's just jump straight in. We'll start off with the Calais jungle, which obviously is part of a much wider issue in the whole refugee crisis that we've seen over the last few months. Um, 2016, I think, has almost been quiet in the sense that people have forgotten about the refugees which is yeah. quite sad and so we've had places like the Calais jungle which have been functioning mm-hmm. I say functioning but you know barely functioning and so people have been surviving out there what are your thoughts first of all just to explain a bit about what's happening so there's we don't know accurate fi- figures but we we estimate that there's about 10,000 people at the Calais jungle um, there's 1,200 police and officials bussing these refugees now to different areas of France. I think there's three topics to discuss here broadly on this issue. One is French politics and European politics, the role of Britain and the role of the media. In French politics we know of course that it's uh, the election cycle now, there's a presidential election in April I think 2017, am I right Afra? Yeah, and there's been a lot of terrorism in France this year as well. Remember, yeah. the climate and public opinion there is very sensitive at the moment. Francois Hollande is doing terribly in the, the polls, op- yeah. Yeah, in the polls. So the opposition have been making promises about the jungle, so he's had to act. But really, the big question is on Britain, because Britain hasn't acted, which is why there's this issue in the jungle anyway. I mean, Britain has only just this week started taking some of these children. And I think the statistics people forget, there's 10 thousand children that have been lost and that is a clue that is according to the united europol so the eu intelligence services say ten thousand children have been lost in europe over this crisis most probably to trafficking child prostitution we don't hear that figure did you just blame the uk for that i think that the uk has a lot to answer for because we live in a climate at the moment it's across europe yeah but britain is the one because we're an island because a lot of these refugees are in calais because they want to come to britain we have shut down not only the borders, but the re- the discussion after Brexit. The whole of Brexit was about this issue, about when Brexit wasn't really about this issue. And you go back and you go back and you go back. Why did we have a referendum? Because um, David Cameron wanted to win an election. Why did he have to promise that? Because of the rise of UKIP. Why did we have the rise of UKIP? Because after the recession, they blamed immigrants rather than the big banks or, you know, you, you can stretch these things back. The, the climate in Britain is toxic right now. It's really toxic. I think I, I personally agree that you know in, in Britain we do have a problem, and, and the way that we've addressed the refugee crisis has been awful. We've kind of, as you mm. say, shut our doors, said you know we're not a part of this. But at the same time, I think a lot of the European countries also have to come forward and, and kind of take blame as well. I was yeah. in Hungary, I think, earlier this year when the migrants were kind of making their way along the path through Europe and I was actually there the day that they decided to just close the border and I was on the border and it's really weird because the first day we went there people were kind of flooding in down this uh, railway track and then the next day they had uh, prisoners ironically who were building this fence to keep the immigrants out Um, and and there was just these two poles and there was one little path where the railway track was and people were walking there and then at some point, they, you know, it was like 2.30 in the afternoon and, and the policeman decided, right, that's it now. 
we're done and they just formed uh, a physical barrier whilst they built up the the rest of the fence and that was that and it's really strange because one day it's there and then, and then literally the next day the camp like the little makeshift center was just completely dismantled and that was being manned not by government authorities but by local citizens who had who were working full-time and who basically gave up their day jobs or no, in fact they carried on with their day jobs as soon as they get home they sacrifice time with their kids and family and their, their whole life was put on halt so that they could be there and they were the ones who were looking after the migrants and it was it was quite sad to be honest to just see the state of everything that was oh, going yeah, on certainly europe has uh, got a lot to answer for just to just to clarify i think in calais in particular because those people that are in calais they're there strategically trying to get to britain mm. most of the most of the refugees in that camp are wanting to at the end of the day get to britain and britain has not done it i mean even the united nations said even even the house of lords last a couple of i think over the summer had a report where they said Basically, Britain has turned its back on this issue. The government has turned its back. It's not doing, it's not doing what's. And interestingly, children are not being sent. The children are being left in the jungle, waiting for Britain to decide what to do with them because it's it's Britain. Britain has to deal with it legally, and they've been left. All the adults have gone, and there's like a camp full of children there now. The problem is, I think, is the widespread ing- ignorance that comes from it. I mean, mm. today I was watching uh, the the destruction video live on Facebook, and one awesome commentator said, uh, "Can we please stop saying the immigrants in Calais are fleeing from war? There is no war in Calais." I mean, hello. The reason they are there is because of the war. I mean, according to the United Nations Commissioner for Refugee uh, report, said the top three nationalities are from, you know, from January 2015 to 16, were Syrian, Afghan and Iraqi immigrants. And the issue is, is these are war-torn countries. And I mean, without delving too far into politics, why are they war-torn countries, mm-hmm. you know? What has started up? What happened for them to come, come over here? Why are they flocking here? The problem is, I suppose, in a way, where do we go from here? Because this crisis is real, it's happening. I'm just going to talk about Britain. We live in a climate where if you're Gary Lineker and you come out and say something supportive, humanitarian about these people, then everyone comes and calls for you to be sacked. If Lily Allen cries, then she's a horrendous person. David Davis, an MP, comes and like basically blames her and be like, well, there's no point of crying, just check the children's teeth instead. So there's a climate and it's really hard because actually, in a way, even how I'm talking on the issue, it's not helping resolve it because there is now an idea in British and European society that this is that this is a real problem. And it's hard. We have to find where that reality is. The problem is with media coverage. It, the reality of the problem is dehumanised. Yeah. It's exploited. So if there is an issue we're not discussing the real issue but I think as well as discussing and, and having these kinds of debates one one really interesting thing is that I, I remember getting a message um, a while back and, and it was basically asking people to take in Syrian refugees because some refugees have come here and there are a lot of children and they need places to stay yeah. and they, were, they wanted Muslim families to take in refugees and that kind of there was a real disconnect for myself as you're mm. saying because we've dehumanized it and it's become this refugee crisis is, mm. is what people say and then when you actually get a message on your phone saying well you know people are now looking for homes these are refugees the ones that we're campaigning for and complaining about they need homes and then we're kind of like oh but you know it's a bit difficult for me and i don't know and i think we need to also address that within ourselves that we have to do something on a our government might not be great but there are some refugees that have come through and we need to support them in whatever way we can um 
Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I don't think there's a nice sort of caveat where we can bring this on to the next uh, topic, but we do need to move on as time is getting away from us. The second topic was veganism, and this is one that I think took us by surprise. Yeah, it did. There was a piece published on the Muslim vibe on the 20th of October and the title asked the question, is it time more Muslims turn to veganism? And this picked up a lot of uh, attention, yeah, a lot of traction. It's crazy yeah. actually, yeah. What were people saying? Well, uh, we had uh, Joey Goldstein on Facebook saying, why? Well, we can have lamb, chicken or beef. Um, another one said, I need my meat. But um, I think that the gold award goes to Hamza on Twitter, who says, uh, "Yeah, bro, let's do qurbani on carrots for Eid al-Adha 2017." <laughs> so um, that that was you know tweet of the week, definitely. But um, I mean, in uh, the re- in the article, Kadri suggests that we ought to reevaluate and revive our relationship with the environment, um, and really consider how our diets, among other things, impact the earth and the people. And that's something that we've completely forgotten. Like you know, where is our food coming from? How are we sourcing it? Are we actually eating the right things? So um, I think that's really something we need to reflect on and think about. Well, the thing is, <laughs> me, I am a lover of the meat, the chicken, the lamb, the steak, the sausage, everything. Yeah. yeah as long as it's halal, I'm good to go. That's so, the question as well. <laughs> but what, what defines halal? How do you know it's thing. halal? There is a voice in my head which I have kind of put in a steel box and try to ignore as much as possible recently um, because there was a couple of these halal food like the halal slaughterhouse scandals the ethical issues the ecological issues you know how it's getting sourced how it's getting to us and that voice is definitely in my head I can safely say I think veganism is a step too far for me but (laughs) (laughs) I think definitely especially as Muslims because I think maybe we have like a bit of moral elitism because we think we have halal meat and that's where the conversation ends um, but A to eat less meat yeah, because we're not supposed to be eating as much meat as we are and there is a discussion about vegetarianism which I could possibly be open to part time in some sort of way but veganism is, is a no for me I'm afraid yeah, I think, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, Percy. I, I think we, we definitely do need to look at the way um, in which we consume meat. Mm. I mean, you know, even from, from the Sunnah of the Prophet and the Hadith that we have as to how meat was consumed in the time of the Prophet, it was a lot more infrequently than we eat today. Um, yeah, so, so certain narrations say like once every 40 days as well. Yeah, yeah so, so c- compare that to once every 40 minutes like we have today. <laughs> I mean, you know, like f- for myself personally, for example, I need to have meat, I guess, dinner time, otherwise I don't feel full. And I think that's really bad since you, simply because I've been conditioned that way mm. over the years. Mm. And, and it's a concern because there's such a high demand for meat and chicken and and all of these things now the source is is really questionable i guess and you know the the reports that have come out in the past have been quite damning in terms of how much halal meat there actually is in the uk Mm -hmm. and the numbers don't add up so chances are a lot of us are eating meat that we think is halal but it's not and that's concerning that is it really is a concern and just the mass consumption at the end of the day when you've got a market that that's that it's that big so much meat being sent from different parts of the world or here or whatever there has to be it there has to be at the least a question about how you know what's the ethics of halal basically it's not just it's not just the best it's just not it's not just the prayer that's been said on it there's a there is a philosophy around it which we deny we deny because it's easier because we know for me i know what the end of that road is 
that's why probably a lot of people <laughs> don't denying. engage in it but that's that's yeah. the truth I think and I think that the, the piece actually touches on this where it talks about tayyib as well as halal and how the meat needs to be I, I mean you know, the animals need to have been free yeah. live live on a farm as opposed to caged animals and things like that and there's there's so many nuanced things that we think oh as long as it's been slaughtered in the right way and we've, rec- we've recited the right things over it that's fine and, and as you said we turn a blind eye to the rest of it simply because it's convenient and I think that's the danger. There's also another thing. Have either of you seen Cowspiracy, the documentary on Netflix? Oh, no, but yeah. were you telling me about this? Or I've yeah, heard about this. It. Yeah. Yeah. Mentioned it yeah. Before, yeah. It's, yeah. it's worth watching. Um, <laughs> just to kind of cut a very long story short, it's, it's definitely worth watching yeah. on Netflix. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, they talk about having, you know, you know, a lot of people, they, they talk about uh, cutting down your water usage. So hose pipes mm. and, and like showers and kettles and things like that. But the amount of water needed to graze animals, especially I think cows, for consumption and for all the things that we use them for is hundreds of times more than the water we use in our houses. So by turning off your tap you know, at home when you're washing your dishes, you'll save a tiny bit compared to if we cut down our meat consumption. But the problem is that there's such a huge, and, and this is all based in America, there's such a huge meat industry and, and the lobby and this and that, and you know how, how it all works out, out in America. Um, so simply the, the reality is that we just can't mm. and, and our society today is driven by the consumption of meat and that's quite a scary notion. I don't know why when you were talking I thought a lot about climate change and that's probably a discussion for a, for a future podcast because it's not sustainable what we're yeah. doing and I'm often really interested maybe if someone's listening they can email in some more details. I've always been interested about climate change from an Islamic perspective I think we do have a piece on the Muslim vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you have to send it to I'll, me. I'll send you the link. Because honestly, it's, it's, it's not sustainable what we're doing yeah. to this world. It's just not. And it, the, it, whether it's the food production, pollution, our cars, energy, so much of what's going wrong really in the world today, even in terms of politics, goes back to this. Speaking about politics, um, did I segue you well? You segue yeah. me very well. Like that was easy. Uh, so the U.S. elections. Yeah, we're um, sick of this topic here. Like I, sick of it. Afro protested <laughs> when this Seriously. was on the agenda. Um, so we've. I mean, uh, we don't need to introduce the topic. I guess uh, we'll get straight down to it. So November the eighth is the election date. We've published various pieces from different angles. So we've got one, um, the title is Thinking of Voting for the Lesser of Two Evils. Why not vote for someone not evil? Um, endorsing, I guess, a third party um, option. Uh, Faizan Hussein on September the 27th wrote Why Donald Trump Should Be the Next President. He's not, I just need to clear this up just in case, you know, he's not Don't endorsing, he doesn't like Donald Trump. But I think you might need to put the link to the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this would all be there, you guys can read the article. But essentially what he's saying is that there needs to be, it needs to get to an extreme place so that the left kind of have a resurgence and, and unify against this evil and hatred that comes from Trump so that we can have that kind of pendulum swing back to normality because what's happened right now in America is that things have just gone too far that's the argument that he puts forward um, we have a contrasting view as well so Mudassar Ahmed um, 30th of September suggested that if you're even vaguely Muslim and you don't vote for Hillary you're contributing to your own destruction um, so this one kind of is heavily advocating uh, voting for Hillary Clinton the you know just for the fact that Trump is 
you know, the worst one that you can go for. So it's a debate of lesser of two evils. And I think that's kind of where we're at at the moment, is are we really going for this whole lesser of two evils, or are we going for what's right? And that's the issue that we have uh, on our hands at the moment, I think. Uh, I think then the question <laughs> comes down, I'm going to put it to you guys, if you were an American, I guess, who would you vote for? If I was an American, I would be toying right now between not voting at all and Jill Stein as a third party candidate. Um, I do not believe in not voting because of apathy, but I don't have an issue with it if it's a thought through process and that you come to a conclusion that actually, as a political statement, you're not going to vote. I think there is a spectrum of views on this. Um, We shouldn't be divisive on it. It's the same with Brexit. I feel like I was one of the very few people that had close friends who were voting leave and voting remain and I understood their positions on both because to me the important thing was the process. At the end of the day when you vote there are priorities for you. Um, for me, for example, if I look at it in this country, there was a time where because of an of a foreign policy anti-war stance I voted a certain way. Another time I decided not to vote because of the climate. Um, Another time I decided to vote, for example, Labour, whereas before I might have been uh, anti-Labour. So the the climate changes and you need to prioritise what's important to you. Someone has the right to prioritise foreign policy and another person has has the right to prioritise their immediate community and how it will impact them. That's fine, but just to play devil's advocate here, if you're entitled to a vote, and obviously, you know, we live, we're lucky and fortunate enough to live in democracies, then by not voting and not exercising that right, are you not kind of doing a disservice to the system almost? Because there are people out there who are giving their lives to to have that vote and to have that say. And even though, you know, you have, for example, the lesser of two evils, keeping out one party, or voting based on, you know, voting for Jill Stein because you think she is the best candidate, but not using your vote. Can you really advocate that position? As I said, I don't, um, I'm not one of these people that comes out and says, oh, if you don't vote, no, because there's a difference between not voting because you can't be bothered to engage and not voting because you've gone through a process of engagement and that's what you've decided is the best policy. Because at the end of the day, yes, we, we have a lot of positives in the democracies we live in. I don't want to take away from those, but they're not, it's not, they're not absolute. Yeah. If anything, this process has shown, especially in America, more so than in Britain, the flaws of the democratic process, especially in the primaries and leading up to the choice of who's your candidate. I mean, if we had a Bernie Sanders now, it would be a completely different discussion mm-hmm. because he was trumping Trump in every single poll, but they chose Hillary Clinton. At the end of the day, low voter, t- vote, low voter turnout is a delegitimization of a democratic process, and if somebody wants to go down that route, they can. In other words, I'm, I'm not advocating for one way or another, but I'm just saying that I think people have the right to choose, and in certain in certain circumstances, not voting is a legitimate choice, and it's one I would consider. Definitely. I think one, I mean, you're saying everyone has a different agenda or different ways to look at things. Um, Just as a Muslim woman myself, I mean, if I was living in the States, I would be very concerned because uh, some of the stuff that Trump has come out with, I mean, I I don't even need to press on that or even touch upon that. I mean, everyone's heard it, I'm sure. But um, really, I think just being aware of how dangerous it can be to have someone like Trump um, as president. And it's not just for Muslims, but for people from different minority backgrounds. I mean, building a wall around Mexico, come on, he'd probably get Mexican people to do that. And it's it's just, look at the racist climate. I mean, the fact is it's become more acceptable. The key to thing that. to remember though, I, I was thinking about this topic on the way here and I thought of a Malcolm X quote where he says, 
you know, America sticks a, a, they, a knife in nine inches and then they take it out three and they call it progress. And, call it progress. and that's what we have to understand. <laughs> I have an issue, I have a serious issue with being on the Hillary Clinton bandwagon. I don't agree with that. I understand if you can't vote for Clinton and I understand if you're voting for Clinton because of the current climate, but then don't make her something she's not. Because understand at the moment we live in a climate that maintaining the status quo, which is awful, is progress and that's where we are. that is the reality because the knife has been dug in deeper and it's been taken out a little bit we might even be Hillary Clinton is to me is a backward step from Barack Obama even I mean, yeah. that's how I, I view her I mean as as Secretary of State she was horrendous um, her family brand is horrendous I I have not much good things <laughs> to say about her <laughs> so I guess uh, just to wrap up um, who are you voting for I guess or who would you vote for I'm undecided between not voting in Jill Stein you me yeah. uh, it's it's a tough one I, I'm also wavering um, but right now I'll probably say Jill Stein but not not. anyways yeah go on yeah, I'd, I'd uh, <laughs> either go third party or quite extreme so Trump so that we can get people to really realise what's happening in the world so yeah sounds good well, um, Jill has potentially three non-votes here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Joe, if you're listening, then uh, you've got our support. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week. Um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we look forward to your thoughts and feedback and uh, hopefully some suggestions for our next topics. You can do so by emailing us on editor at themuslimvibe.com. And also don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, Salam Alaikum. <laughs>